Hi, this is Mark from The Highlighter. And Anne with Annotations. And welcome to The Highlighter Podcast. Where we discuss the best articles and podcasts on race, education, and culture. Hello and welcome to the 37th episode of The Highlighter Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. This month, Anne and I have been focusing on the very important topic of reading and how it's taught or not taught in our schools. I'm very excited about this episode because Joan Cohn is on the show. Joan Cohn is a retired English teacher, and she's also the author of Appearing Acts, Creating Readers in a High School English Class, which appeared in the highlighter number 137. We also featured it again on the podcast in podcast number 34, where three English teachers from San Francisco read the article and talked about how they use some of her ideas in their own classrooms. I'm very excited about this episode because Joan Cohn is sort of a teaching hero of mine. And I actually read this article way back when I was in grad school. I actually read it on the side in the library. I actually worked at the library, uh, work study to try to pay off my grad school debt, I suppose. And sometimes there was free time. And so I found myself reading and reading everything except for my homework. And I remember reading this article. And I was totally blown away. And I said, you know what? I want to be like this teacher someday. She's totally cool. She's totally transformed her classroom. And her students um, definitely love to read. And I had in my mind that I wanted to contact this teacher. But of course I didn't. I was a little too shy. And besides, I was becoming a social studies teacher, not an English teacher. So I sort of forgot about the article until a long time after when I became an English teacher and an English teacher who really wanted to promote reading in his classroom, especially for ninth graders. And so I found Joan Cohn's article again, and I reread it, and I framed a lot of what I did in my classroom around this article. But still, I was a little bit shy, and I did not contact her, even though this was my teacher hero. It was only just a few weeks ago after I published uh, this article in the highlighter number 137 that I had enough courage to contact her. I wrote her a little note. She wrote me back and I asked her, hey, do you, would it be okay to answer some questions? Is it all right? And she was thrilled. She said, anytime, let's go ahead and talk. And so we set up a time to Skype. She was all the way across the country in North Carolina. And the first thing I did is I asked her, why did she become a teacher in the first place? You know, when I went to the university, um, what women did is we became nurses or we became teachers. Some became lawyers. Uh, I didn't know anyone who got a master's degree or a PhD. That's what we did. We, we got jobs. We went to university, and then after we graduated, we got jobs. But I also think there was an idea that we got jobs in professions that really spoke to our times. I graduated in 1964. I was influenced by Martin Luther King. I think there was a sense that we needed to be a part of a social movement, a social justice movement, even though I don't think it was well defined. But I think my friends and I, we went into teaching because we wanted a job, but we also went into teaching because that's where we thought we should be. We would be serving. I think we were limited by our gender in many of the choices that we made, but I, 
I never regretted that I was limited in that. It was a wonderful, wonderful profession. Um, Jerry Brown, years ago, when first time he was governor, talked about psychic rewards, and that really rang true for me. I think teaching provides us with um, psychic rewards. Teaching is a rewarding profession, and I kind of knew it from the very beginning. After getting her degree, Joan decided to join the Peace Corps and did that for a couple years in Kenya. And then she came back to the United States, worked as a teacher in a couple places across the country before finally landing where she would be for several decades, and that is the East Bay, specifically Richmond, where she currently still lives. She also found her school, which was El Cerrito High School. Here she is with a little bit more about why El Cerrito was so special for her. I loved it. Um, I I really loved that school. Um, It it has rich kids and flatland kids. It had African-Americans and Asian-Americans and white kids. And I just, it was a mixed school. And um, that's the kind of place that I wanted to teach. And actually, my son ended up going there, too. And uh, I think he would speak really highly of the school. It wasn't perfect, but we worked at um, getting it good. Yeah, it seems like Joan Cohn, right from the beginning, was really believing in a desegregated school. And she told me later that she firmly believed in a detract classroom and actually fought for it, which I thought was pretty cool. I also wanted to know, like, how exactly did she get to writing this article or even having an inquiry stance? And she said that it wasn't just at the beginning, but there was some time in the middle of her career where she said, you know what, am I going to continue being a teacher? What's going on here? I know that I have a growth mindset. I want to learn more. And so I wanted to know more myself. And so I asked her, how did the article come about? And how did you even start thinking about reading? I, um, after 19 years, I went back to get my master's and I got it at Cal. And I started reading a lot about um, disparities and, and things like that, um, about students' poor perceptions of their abilities to learn and that. Um, but um, I wasn't focused on reading. So when I wrote this article, it was interesting. I, I wasn't focused on reading at all. I was focused on how do schools construct some students as learners and some students as non-learners. That really was the, the crux of my idea, I think, behind this article. And then when I went on to get a PhD, I, um, I began to study more about reading. I talked about I, mostly not methods in reading, but uh, research on reading. But um, the reason I went back to school And I always assumed that I would go back and get a a master's in English or something. None of that interested me. I really was interested in making sense of what I'd been doing for 19 years. That's really why I went to get a master's degree. I thought, I want to know what I've been doing. I want to make sense of all this. And um, the master's degree helped. I really learned a lot. And then I just fell in love with being a student. So I taught the whole time I was um, earning those degrees. I would read things and I would bring it back into some of my classes and say, do you guys believe this? (laughs) So they were pretty neat. And uh, yeah, and it was just great. I was a learner and they were learners and I was struggling and they were struggling. I could feel my happiness. I I could feel my um, learning. It was a really visceral experience. 
Joan's enthusiasm and zest for learning came through during the entire interview. It wasn't just in that part. And I can only imagine being a student in her classroom and her sort of coming up to me, asking me about a book or trying to support me as a reader. I think that probably all of her students felt supported. I wanted to ask her, though, because it's a current debate um, in reading instruction, is reading really about the power of reading or is it about the joy of reading? This is what Joan said about that topic. If you see yourself as a reader, you've taken on the identity of a reader. It seems to me that the more you do it, the more you kind of solidify that identity. And that should give you joy. Just as when you're a young, uh, my grandson is a runner. He runs cross country. And he began to see himself as a runner. But the better he gets and the more he runs, the more that identity is is real. And I, I think, and it adds joy to his life. And that's who he is. His identity is a reader. I mean, I mean, is a runner, as well as many other identities. I guess we should be joyful about these identities that we've taken on. So at this point, Joan knew that she was going for the joy of reading, but she had her own new identity, which was one of being a researcher. And she wanted to know what she should do first. How could she promote more reading and independent reading in her classroom? Her first attempt was to assign an outside reading book. And many of us have done this. Go ahead, students. Go ahead and read anything that you want. We're not necessarily going to have any time during the class. Please go off, read it for homework, and come back, and we'll talk about it. And this was her first attempt, and this is something that she wrote about in her article. Of course it didn't work, but she grew from it, and this is what she had to say about it. Well, it didn't go. See, I thought it was like a one-answer-answer. One okay, so, oh, so I'll just do independent reading. And in fact, nothing really changed. I mean, the first book they didn't read, and the next book, not so many of them read. So there was something else. That's why I just kept asking it. This, no, I haven't quite got it yet. Tell me a little bit more. And it was only when they began to say, well, we need to talk about these books. And that's when I put together, well, it had to be groups. Because, you know, it was. so there, I think there are many prongs to this. Um, because they wanted to talk about it. and But when they talked about how you talk about books, they talked, they used the language that we used in class. Like when we studied Othello and they'd say, that I would say, okay, Desdemona, what's up with you? You know? So they, they wanted to be able to have that kind of talk too. So it was um, giving kids independence to choose their books, but they had to choose the books in groups so they could talk together. And, but in order for them to talk, I, as a teacher, had to model how do you talk about a book? And even before that, I had to make it safe for kids to talk. I just love this answer because Joan went in with one idea, noticed that it didn't work, but it didn't really phase her. And so much was going on. She realized that actually the real thing that she needed to do was have students talk to each other about their books. And this is something that doesn't always happen with independent reading. Usually a lot of students are just reading their own books. And what Joan says that needs to happen is that students are reading in groups so that they can talk about their books in a safe way. It's pretty amazing, though, because at this point, Joan could have stopped and gotten frustrated. You know, this idea that students weren't necessarily reading, but she always came back from a growth mindset and she always had an inquiry stance. So, yeah, I, but I think you don't beat yourself up. You keep thinking. I think when you're in an inquiry stance, you know, you're really an ethnographer in class. So you keep playing. 
oh, this happened. Okay, well, and you just keep more. If you keep making yourself wrong all the time, you stop and you say, well, the heck with it. Um, you know, so I just think if you keep being curious and allow yourself to get your feelings hurt, but move through that, you find all kinds of interesting things. I mean, really, they have the answers to the questions you have about what's happening right or wrong in the classroom. By they, of course, Joan means her students. Her students definitely kept her in an inquiry stance, and she just sort of followed what her students said, what they needed as readers and as learners. So what they had is that individual reading wasn't really working, and so they went to this idea of group reading of books that they wanted to read. In fact, students would pitch the books that they wanted to read and try to encourage their peers to read the same books in sort of a book club. Here's Joan on that. They just pitched their books, and if somebody um, pitched a book and, and only one person signed up, I'd say, well, then you guys choose another book to, to go into, okay? And sometimes a group would kind of come together into class and they knew which book they wanted to read. And sometimes they would realize, oh my God, this is the wrong book and they would change. So I allowed for some changing. Um, you know, one time um, some, it was almost all boy group decided they wanted to read the book Lolita and the film had just come out and they thought it was gonna be very exciting. And, um, so I thought, oh, I'll join this group. <laughs> I never wanted to read that book. The whole idea behind it bothered me. But I read that book. Well, pretty soon most of those boys fell off and some girls joined the group and we read it together. Um, there was another group of girls, these really smart, sassy, beautiful girls. We're going to read a book called The History of the Penis. And they, you know, and they, they felt really sassy reading, you know, announcing the name of their book. Well, one day into it, they realized, oh, my God, this is so boring. We've got to find another book. So um, so sometimes they knew which book, you know, on Thursday, they kind of had already paired up or grouped up and some not. But they, they could change within a day or two. So this group thing wasn't always perfect, but it was something that Joan definitely landed on. That talk was important, that students should choose their books, but really in collaboration with, with each other. But one thing that she wanted to make sure that I remembered was that Joan also did not relinquish her role as the master reader in the classroom as well as the teacher. She, in fact, adopted a hybrid approach where her students would choose one book and then she would do a book back and forth, back and forth, all the while staying patient, all the while listening to her students. I think I was patient. I was kind of patient with myself and patient with this. I'm going to learn something here and I'm just going to keep pursuing it and holding on to things that I, I think are important to hold on to. Um, but truly, as I said earlier, um, at the end of that year, I never taught um, English classes the same, ninth through 12th. I always mixed in the books that I taught to the whole class and books that I taught, books that kids um, read on their own. And even when students did read their books on their own in this hybrid approach, Joan made sure to have additional structure, a way of framing this kind of work that students did in book clubs when they were pitching the books that they wanted to read. Joan made sure to always have an essential question or a prompt. And what was great is that this offered students the ability to read outside of themselves, as well as to read in a variety of genres. This is the way we can open up worlds to our students. We can say, okay, let's read a book uh, about an immigrant, written by an immigrant. 
or about an immigrant. Let's read a book by um, uh, a trans person. Let's read a book about somebody who grows up in a small town in wherever. Let's read a Booker Man um, winner. Let's read um, an, a book written by an Indian novelist. I think we can open up things. And we did that with Nobel Prize winners and the kids fell in love with Mafus. You know, so I think we can open up our kids to different identities and different different psychological worlds as well as geographical worlds. And I, I think that's what we need to do. I really like this point that as a reading teacher, Joan was always looking for opportunities to promote new identities among her students and new horizons for her students, sort of like a window out into the world. But even at the end of the interview, Joan made sure to come back to her students, what she learned from her students by listening to them. I think for every teacher, the students are, are the center of her life. And, uh, and so, you know, I always at graduation, it's sad. because I mean, notice the teachers cry at graduation. And I think we always think, God, I hope I gave you what it takes. I hope I helped you, you know, so that, you know, you will, you know, be a success. Um, that's the big thing, I think, that teachers, you know, if we care about our students, we really hope that we gave them the tools so that they can um, live happy lives, live productive lives. Sounds like a cliche, but it's really real. Thank you, Joan, so much for sharing your experience and your career in education, as well as your article and how we can promote readers. It was a dream come true to be able to talk to you. Thank you so much for being on the show. Highlighter listeners, if you enjoyed the show, there's plenty of things that you can do. First of all, there's a survey that you can take, the annual survey over at the Highlighter, j.mp slash highlighter survey 18 all one word. Make sure to go onto that survey and let me know what you think. You can also leave a message, a voicemail at 415-886-7475. That would be wonderful. It would be really great just to know more about what you're thinking about the show. Tune in next week. Anne and I right now are deciding, should we extend this focus on reading for at least a couple more episodes or should we switch topics? And so you'll find out in just seven more days. Have a great week, everybody. Happy listening and happy reading. Also see you over on Thursday over at the newsletter. Have a great week.